So Psalm 66, praising God with many voices and with one voice. Psalm 66, to the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Or that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We mentioned last week how Psalm 65 and Psalm 66 kind of go together to respond to Psalm 64 that calls all of the righteous to rejoice in the Lord, to exult the upright in heart, to exult in the Lord. So Psalm 65, remember it opens with the declaration that God is worthy to be praised. And then it proceeded to give three reasons. We looked at that last week. Three reasons why God is due our praise. Why he is praiseworthy. Just three reasons of the many reasons that could be given. And then Psalm 66 then opens up with the command to praise. So Psalm 65 says God should be praised, and then Psalm 66 says now praise him. He is praiseworthy, and then it calls on us as his people to do exactly that, to give him the praise that is due to his name. 
Psalm 65 is is descriptive. It's describing how praise is to be given. Psalm 66 is prescriptive. It's calling on us to do exactly that, to lift our voices in praise. Psalm 65 is is addressed to God and declaring that he must be praised. Psalm 66 is addressed to us as his people and exhorting us to join in that praise, to be a part of that chorus that is giving God great praise. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 5 is an invitation to praise. An invitation to praise. Notice in verses 1 through 3, the many ways that the psalm, the psalmist here is exhorting us and, and motivating us to praise the God who is praiseworthy. He begins with shout, shout. So it should be big praise. Don't whisper it. Shout it. God is too great to be kept a secret. He's he's too wonderful and and mighty and, and awesome to be kept quiet and to be kept silent. Shout it. Let everybody around you hear it. Shout, Psalm says, for joy, for joy. And that's why you have to shout it. Joy brings brings out shouting. It doesn't bring out whispering. The fountain of this praise is, is joy. When our hearts overflow with joy, we don't respond by trying to be as quiet as we possibly can. But joy brings forth loud, boisterous praises and celebration. Let it out large, the psalmist says, says to God. Shout for joy to God. That's why the praise is so Large and so full of joy because God is so big and God is full of joy. And this praise is directed to him. All the earth, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Every single voice is called upon to praise God because every single voice has known the goodness and greatness of God. Shout for joy to God. Sing the glory of his name. Don't just shout it, but sing it. Those are, those are things that we do when we are happy, when we are filled with joy. We sing. We shout. I, as, as the hymn says, right? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Joy bubbles over in our lives and it expresses itself. It comes out in shouts and in song. And you know this is the case, right? When, when your team scores the winning touchdown in the last few seconds or the, the winning basket or, or the winning goal, there are shouts. There's, there's joy. There's exclamation because you're happy, because you're excited. Well, the psalmist says God is a lot more to get excited about. Shout and sing. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Give to God the the only kind of praise that is worthy of the God whom we're praising. Glorious praise, celebratory praise, honoring praise. Don't come before God with with half-hearted mumbling praise. 
but glorious praise. And then the scripture says, say to God, we're to shout praises, sing praises, give praises. And then the psalmist says, say to God. In other words, here's a good place to start. When you're praising God, say this. Start with this. Tell God how awesome his deeds are. Tell God in praise how great is his power on, the, on behalf of his people. And then the scripture says, all the earth worships you. Let your voice, let our voice represent all voices. Let us give God the praise that everyone should be giving. Not everyone's going to give, but everyone should give praise to God. Everyone should lift. Every tongue should be lifted. So we should be praising God to, to the degree that, that all the earth is praising him. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. So it begins with this command for all of us to praise and, and to praise big, to, to praise God in a way that's worthy of him. Glorious praise, joyful praise. And then it says in verse 5, there's the invitation. The psalmist says, come and see what God has done. If your praise is a little lacking, if, if you're having trouble with praising, with, with getting started, come and see what God has done. That will light the fires of praise in our hearts, in our lives, when we come and see what God has done. We are to worship him and and tell him how awesome are his deeds and how great is his power. So come and see. Come and see his awesome deeds. Come and see his great power. And when you come and see and you witness his power, you cannot help but praise him. By the way, that's what Bible reading is for. That's what Bible study is for. That's what Sunday school is for. That's what sermons are for, to come and see, for us to gather around the Word of God and come and see what He has done. See the God who He is. See how God cares for His people, saves His people. And when you see it, give Him praise. There's an invitation to praise and then the psalm kind of breaks into two categories, the, the many voices of praise and the one voice of praise. And we see in verses 6 through 12 that God has a history of grace with all of his people, collective, all of his people. So the psalmist says, come and see what he has done. And he begins by, by reminding us of some of the great things that God has done for all of his people. See how awesome and great are God's works among his people. And verse, verses 6 through 12 take us back to the Exodus. It takes us back to the days of Israel's slavery and bondage in Egypt. If, you, if you're reading through the Bible this, this year, then you've probably read through the book of Exodus already. And the book of Exodus stands tall throughout all history as an example and as a reminder of God's grace among his people. If you want to know what God will do for his people, if you want to know what God has planned for his people in redemption, read Exodus 
In other words, come and see. That's what the Bible is, an invitation. Come and see. Verses 6 and 7 take us back to that great standoff between, between Israel and the forces of Egypt on the shore of the, of the Red Sea. You remember that story. Israel is trapped and Israel is outmanned. And there's nowhere to run and hide. The, the sea is to their back and Egypt is bearing down to their front. All the forces and horses and chariots of Egypt are coming to punish and reclaim and retrieve and re-enslave all of these runaways from their perspective. And from any viewpoint of battle strategy, if you're, if you're standing at a distance and you see these two great multitudes and, and one is those who have been in bondage for hundreds of years and one is a great army bearing down on them, you're thinking, well, it's over for them, isn't it? Nothing, nothing else can be done. There's nowhere to go. If they run into the sea, they'll all drown. If they try to fight, they'll be killed. There's, there's no hope here. Israel is defeated. It's all been for nothing. They barely got out of Egypt. What was all of this about? They must surrender now or face certain annihilation it really comes down to will God come through for his people will God keep his promise is the kingdom of Egypt too powerful for God has all been lost has it been for nothing and in vain if you're standing there one of the Israelites you've got those thoughts running through your head what in the world is going to happen next and you know the story, don't you? We know the story well. God's presence is, is represented in, in a thick, great cloud. It settles in between. And then happens what no one could have imagined would happen. If you're thinking, how is Israel going to get out of this? You would not have concluded what God's getting ready to do because we're not God. And he does things that only God can do. And a strong and mighty wind begins to blow and all of a sudden the sea begins to divide. You can hear in the, in the passage, don't, don't you, in verse 6 it says, He turned the sea into dry land. That's amazing. That's beyond what you could imagine. They passed through what was the sea on foot, on dry land, with a wall of water on either side, Israel walks through the Red Sea, and when Pharaoh and his army pursue, they are swept away in a mighty rush of water. The walls of the, of the sea collapse upon them. The sea returns to itself. God defeated the greatest army in the world with water who would have imagined with water and he saved his people he saved his people psalmist says come and see 
Come and see how God watches over his people, how God will cast down those who rebel against him and exalt themselves against him and against his will. So those who are with God, that's who God is. So shout to him, shout for joy to him, sing, sing glorious praise to him. And then in verses 8 through 12, it takes a look at Israel in the, in the heavy burden of, of bondage in Egypt. And it begins there with their, with their bondage, and then it, it sweeps all the way through to, in verse 12, dwelling in the promised land. Come and see. Come and see how far God brought his people from a place in which they were tested and tried, they were caught in a net under a crushing burden upon their backs. You remember the story of having to make the same number of bricks but not given the straw anymore, that the crushing burden upon their backs, men riding over their heads, dominating over them. And it ends in verse 12. You have yet, 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 you have brought us out to a place of abundance. God allowed Israel to bear the weight of years of slavery and bondage. He brought them through much testing and trial to prove to them, to show them and to show the world that he and he alone is the source of life and salvation and that he will make a way. He will make a way to save his people. We know that way is through the blood, right? Through the blood. God was with them all the way through the bondage, through the deliverance, through the wilderness, through the conquest, through it all. He carried them through the fire and the water right into the place he had promised so many years ago. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon on how this relates to us, how their experience is as our experience. Spurgeon writes, Trials, many and varied, were endured by Israel in Egypt and are still the portion of the saints. The fires of the brick kilns, the waters of the Nile did their worst to destroy the chosen race. Hard labor and child murder were both tried by the tyrant. But Israel went through both ordeals unharmed, and ever thus the church of God has outlived and will outlive all the artifices and cruelties of man. Fire and water are pitiless and devouring, but a divine fiat stays their fury and forbids these or any other agents from utterly destroying the chosen seed. Many an heir of heaven has had a dire experience of tribulation. The fire through which he has passed has been more terrible than that which chars the bones, for it has fed upon the marrow of his spirit and burned into the core of his heart. 
while the water floods of affliction have been even more to be feared than the remorseless sea, for they have gone in even to the soul and carried the inner nature down into deeps horrible and not to be imagined without trembling. Yet, each saint has been more than a conqueror hitherto. And, had, and as it has been, so shall it be. The fire is not kindled, which can burn the woman's seed. Neither does the dragon know how to vomit a flood, which shall suffice to drown it. God, who took them to Egypt, also brought them to the land which flows with milk and honey. Come and see. Come and see the great works of grace of God among his people and give him praise. And then the third thing, God has a history of grace with each one of his people. So it's not, it's not only that God works in gracious and mighty and wonderful ways with all of his people, but God works that way with each and every one of his people. And so this many voices, the psalm is calling all the earth, everyone, all the children of man, all the people of God should be singing praises. Look what God has done. Come and see. But then the psalmist, he turns, doesn't he? In verse 13, he turns and he starts talking about his praise, his testimony, the works of grace of God in his life. I will come into your house with, with burnt offerings, that is, with thanksgiving. So in verses 13 through 20, the, the psalmist moves to, to that work of God in each and every child of God. We are to shout and sing for joy for, for all that God has done for all of his people, but our single voices should be raised, our individual voices should be raised to an even higher note when we remember all that God has done for us individually. And that's what, I believe it's David here. It doesn't say David as Psalm 65 says, but I believe it's still David writing here and he has much for which to give God praise and thanksgiving. Verse 13, I will come, I will offer. I have reason to praise God. It's not only that God has done something for us all, God has done wonderful things for me. I will give him praise. I will give him thanksgiving. I will perform my vows. That, that means I will live for him. I will commit my life to him. Verses 14 and 15, he talks about the experience that he had when he was in trouble. And no doubt it was a trouble that he brought upon himself as we often do you can see later in the in this psalm that he says he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me if i had cherished iniquity in my heart so no doubt trouble that he brought upon himself but he says in verses 14 and 15 when I was in trouble, I cried out to God. There, there was nowhere else to go. 
nothing I could do for myself or no one else could do for me but God. I cried to God, I prayed to God, and I made promises to God. If he would only heal, if, if he would only deliver, if he would only save me, if he would only help me to get out of this that I've gotten myself into, and he did. And God did. And so he says... In verse 14, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you those sacrifices, those offerings. I will make good on what I promised to you when I was in trouble. I will worship you. I will give you thanks for delivering me. And it made me stop and think, how often have we been guilty of of forgetting God when he answers prayer. We remember God when we're, when we're in the thick of darkness and, and heartache and trouble and, and trial. And we cry out to God and, and we plead with God, oh, oh God, if you will only help, if you will only hear, if you will only save me, if you will only answer, then I promise I will do this or I will do that. If, 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 if you'll only... Answer me and help me and deliver me. I'll, I'll go to church. I, I'll be a witness. I'll, I'll live a holy life. And then when God answers and when God quiets the storm and when God brings deliverance and when life resumes to a, a normal pace, all of a sudden we forget about all those pledges and promises we made when we thought we would never see the light of day again. Let us not forget how good God has been to us, how gracious God has been to us, and let us not forget to give him thanks, to give him praise. Come and see. Come and see. And so in verse 16, here's that, here's that invitation. He said in verse 5, come and see. Let's talk about what God has done for everybody in verse 16, come, come and see or come and hear what God has done for me. I will tell you. I, I love this verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. So David is standing and testifying, isn't he? You hear people in church say, can I get a witness? Well, David is saying, yes, I, I'll be that witness. I'll give witness. Listen to this. Hear what God has done in my life. In verses 17 through 19 is, is what he's talking about. I, I cried to him with my mouth. High praise was on my tongue. If, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened he has attended to the voice of my prayer and that takes us back to the previous psalm doesn't it and again reminds us how precious and powerful and wonderful is this gift that god has given to his people called prayer Look with me back in, in, in Psalm 65, back to verse 2. Remember, we, we paused here and, and kind of expounded on this a little bit last week, but the Psalm David talks about here in Psalm 65, verse 2, that God is the one who hears prayer. 
Now, why is that such a big deal that he says you are praiseworthy because you're the God who hears prayer? Well, from his own lips in the next psalm, he's saying, why that's such a big deal? Because when, when the only thing I could do is pray, God heard my prayer. He's the God who hears prayer. And he answers in mighty and glorious and gracious ways according to his will. And then there's a, there's a key fundamental lesson of prayer. The Lord would not have listened. If I'd have held on to my sin, if I'd have candy-coated my sin, neglected to acknowledge and admit my sin, which is why he's in trouble in the first place. If I had just said, God, get me out of this without confessing and, and repenting of the sin that I committed that caused this, God would not have heard. But God hears and answers his people when they pray, but we must pray with a clean and pure heart before him. Confession of sin open wides the gates of God's mercy and grace. Repentance of sin gains the ear of heaven, the hand of the Father, the promises of his word. Sin is the great hindrance to prayer. If we're having trouble praying, there's sin somewhere. Sin pulls us away from the prayer closet. Sin gives us a hundred excuses not to pray. Sin causes us to be tired and not ready for prayer. Sin pours doubts into our hearts. God doesn't listen to me. Why should I pray? I don't know what to pray. Sin drains our will to approach God. I don't feel like praying. I can't pray. I don't pray. Sin bars the doors of heaven. It, it, it keeps us in our trouble. It blocks the flow of grace into our lives. But once the note of contrition is uttered, the refreshing waters of communion burst upon our souls which are wearied and parched with sin. And once again, we find in God's grace that he restores all that the enemy has stolen in our lives. But truly, love verse 19, but truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. My prayer. And so in verse 20, the psalmist cannot help but do what he's called all of us to do. In verses 1 through 5, he was calling all of us to praise and to praise big and to praise loud. Well, here in verse 20, after, after rehearsing how God has moved in his life, that's exactly what he does. Blessed be God. Because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I don't deserve it. He, he's un, he, he understands, doesn't he? I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. It, it, it wouldn't be a surprise. It, but yet what is more surprising is that he doesn't remove his steadfast love. That he doesn't 
reject the prayer of his people. David has has himself known the awesome deeds and power of God, and so he praises him. He has experienced, he has seen God's grace in his own life, God's power in his own life, how God cares for all of his people is how God cares for him. It's one thing to say, look what God has done for them. Look, they walked on dry land. Look. It's quite another thing to say, listen, he answered my prayer, my prayer, me. Undeserving, unworthy, caused all this trouble myself, my sin, and God delivered once again. All of the many voices of praise to God are built upon each individual voice that is praising God. So when each of us praise Him for His goodness and grace, we all praise Him for his goodness and his grace. Come and see. Come and see. And let us, church, testify. Let us testify. It's not only that God did all of these great wonders back then, but he still works in gracious and miraculous ways today. How has God delivered you? How has God answered me? Come and see and praise. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.